two, age, and then <laughs> that is that is so epic. Though. I can't believe you just thought about that on the spot. What two age sojourner? all right all right so how we doing are we all right we're good glad to be back yes are we still doing that thing where we're supposed to be like telling people who we are yes no i don't know maybe it's a (laughs) it's a good idea every once in a while i mean i do i am being i mean you should see my you you are mike and you are andre you should see my work on the show notes these days it's profound it's like i mean i'm i'm it's consistent it's regular it tells people where we're, what we're talking about it's like cool. i mean my goodness just look at the show notes people but um i don't know what's yeah. relevant to talk about that we're i, I suppose, don't even know if you're being sarcastic i haven't even seen the show notes no 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 i'm being real i'm being real um it's 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 <laughs> major major improvements yeah because i get shouted at if if like people are like well what are you talking about you know who are you what are you talking about like, yeah oh, sorry <laughs> it's hard enough to follow this podcast as it is <laughs> Give us, give us a fighting chance. Uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I've been doing a little bit better there, but um, um, the only thing relevant I think is that we're a bunch of pastors. I we live in New Zealand, Nick and I, and um, and Andrea lives in the UK, and and the convoluting point here is that Andrea and myself are brothers. So if you're getting any. <laughs> And we're brothers from there. another mother. And none of us are from the places that we're currently at. We're all from South Africa, <laughs> which is yet another point that could that could cause major confusion. So, <laughs> so I think I think it's almost better just to just to kind of just to ignore it. Just, just to roll with it. it. Just, just, just roll with it. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, just 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 let the, the confusion overtake you and overwhelm you and then just see where you end up at the end. It's kind of the Embrace. fun part about the um the podcast if we don't get you with our accents or you know we'll get you with the content we'll get you somehow we'll confuse (laughs) you one way or another um but hey i thinking about people that have stuck with us and uh that we're thankful for and you know they give us a little bit of encouragement along the way and just you know why are we doing this well it's kind of this sort of thing that helps us out um i want to give a quick shout out to andrew um mayor i think that's how you pronounce your surname brother andrew mayor from um omaha and uh he's with um pat avendroth and and the guys there and there seems like there's a kleinian baptist like revival of sorts happening i mean going on there i told him if i'm going to the states i'm heading over to omaha that's not only not only (laughs) has county crows written a song about them exactly (laughs) it seems like something is going on so uh no thankful thankful he he just mentioned he appreciated the podcast he's actually said he listened to all of them which is incredible because we're wrecking the wrecking the numbers up now but that is heroic even i hope that you're okay after all of that uh and if you're not (laughs) too badly messed up don't give me fun yeah (laughs) but um but you know what he appreciated and what i appreciate about him letting us know that he appreciated it was just that that you know exactly what we're trying to do bring in this kleinian reform baptist angle um I mean, I suppose emphasis on the Kleinian, you know, rather than the Baptist. You know, I, it's just the way I feel like I've 
wanted to roll. I mean, I am Baptist, so it's going to come in. And I feel like it flows naturally out of Klein's theology in many different ways. Not saying Klein was a Baptist, but still. Um, and, you know, it just, but we're majoring on the Kleinian side, ma- majoring on the, on the, uh, on the big issues rather than wanting to get stuck on baptism particularly. Um, obviously, baptism is a juicy topic because it's sort of that nexus point with, with all of the biblical theology where it comes to bear on, on some of these issues. So we have feasted out on that in the past. We will do that in the future. We reserve our right to do that kind of thing every now and again. But, uh, but you know, as in terms of the mainstay, as as the subtitle for the podcast channel thing says somewhere, you know, we're, we're really just wanting to think about those big rubric hermeneutical issues as they pertain to systematic theology, biblical theology, you know, and just life in the two ages, I think. Um, so thank you for your encouragement, uh, Andrew, and um, and the others that are sticking with us and uh, just appreciate what, what what we're doing. Uh, we appreciate it that we appreciate that you appreciate it. And then um, you know it just kind of helps us because every now and again you do think like, what well, you know, is there even a point to all of this? Um, it would be it would be cool to know like if there are other people watching it to to hear from you guys because I genuinely have no idea how many people listen to this or watch it or if anybody listens to it because for me this is just like my hour in the <laughs> week where I hang out with Nick and Mike and the, uh, uh, and yeah so we're getting some numbers on uh, on YouTube um, which we we had like one or two listeners uh, you we used know to get viewers. like three or four viewers yeah. yeah so now it's like sort of around the hundreds you know. Uh, triple, uh, triple digits. Yeah, so that's good. So, but but still, the action's happening on, which we will be moving soon. But on Podbean, uh, so people prefer audio. There's something about our faces that is obviously not as mesmerizing as we hoped it would be. But it is too much. It is too much beautiful beardiness to take in. I, <laughs> I know it's a lot. It is a lot. But um, <laughs> someone did say to me that we need to get onto things like Spotify. Yeah, I know. Well, that would be like getting your show notes in order and. I put that yes. in that category, just being awesome. Yeah. Which um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Just give us time. My goodness, like all the pressure. Make, yeah. Enough to make a brother crack. I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> we do just want to hang out and do just want to talk about the next little bit of covenant theology, right? That's what we want to do. So, um, and by the way, after this, uh, did I got it with me? No, no, I don't. I thought I did. Anyway, I'll leave it for later. But. After this series of co- essays on covenant theology, I got our next book. Got another one. Oh. I'll let you know about it later. All right. Okay. Um, let's think about. Oh, where is my iPad? Yeah. The Davidic right. Covenant. Davidic Covenant. You guys know about Richard Belt- Belcher? This is Richard P. Belcher Jr. Yes. Oh, we spoke about it before, didn't we? He's yeah. the. Yeah, yeah, right. Senior guys, the journey to grace, journey Classic. to holiness, journey yeah. to cessationism. Journey to everything Reform Baptist. Have we figured out if they are son, related? Are we do, are yeah, we sure about they that? Are. Okay. Yeah, I believe wow. so. Yeah. That is amazing. Um, so and then he wrote this book, Explanation on Covenant Theology or of Covenant Theology, um, the Promises of God, something to that effect. And um and so yeah, he's a he's a good guy guy to um make the comments that he's making. So um I like this. Uh, I'll say up front. I like this essay a lot better than the last two. Um, oh yeah, that was uh, it, it was it was good. <laughs> it wasn't too edgy, you know. It didn't make any extreme points one way or another. No. Um, it yeah. probably just didn't. Very informative. Just putting the Davidic covenant in its proper place. I mean, I, I just I just really appreciated, you know, as you move through the covenants, 
you know, you start with Genesis 3.15 and it's very vague. It's very broad. You know, there's a man who's going to be born of Adam and Eve and he's mm. going to be our savior. Mm. And then you get the Noah covenant and that secures the stage upon which the work of redemption will be done. Mm. And then you get a man and his family, Abraham. And then, you know, there's Isaac and Jacob and then Jacob has 12 sons. And then there's Judah who gets highlighted as the one uh, who will have the scepter in his house. Yeah, yeah, and then funny. now you get uh, the Davidic covenant, which brings specificity yeah. to those general promises. And so that's, that's the beauty of, of, of moving here mm, to the yeah. Kings. Yeah. And, um, and yet at the same time, those things were always there in kind of, Yep. In a more subtle form, and I think that's seed form. I, yeah. I was uh, was camping on holiday, and if some friends were staying with us. They probably probably listened to this, but the um, uh, the, we we got into the the debate about whether or not um, it, it was right for Israel to have a king. You know, because they yeah. they read sort of judges as being sort of almost like a, a better system. Mm. And it all and went. There was no king, king in Israel. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in this, yeah, and that's, that's a negative. Yeah, statement and anyway, and so we had that kind of discussion. But I think um, this this essay and thinking about the Davidic covenant, and seeing it, its its beginnings all the way go, going all the way back, does help oh, yeah. to inform that discussion. It's as huge. Well. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, yeah, I mean, wow, that kings that king, kings thing is so powerful because the whole point of the book of uh, or judges, at least, sorry, the whole the end of the judges. Uh, the end, that last verse, I think it is, where you know the the central problem is defined by way of not having a king, which is amazing. Of all the yeah. things going on there, you know th that's what then preludes the, the the rest of it. But um, you know, I think it's such an important um, flow, you know, because you have this this focal point that's starting to develop um, in the king of Israel according to the works principle. That you know what was true of the people under a works-oriented covenant like that of Sinai, now becomes true of the king who represents the people. So he is the, mm -hmm. you know, he's doing the same thing that the people are doing, yeah. except it's all focused now on the king. So you can see what a massive step that is toward, you know, uh, getting us ready to understand Christ and, you know, making the the, the eternal covenant legible in that in that regard, the, the last Adam. Um, the... Well, I suppose you know what, what I was going to just say as a as a kind of lead up, uh, uh, maybe it, it fits in well with with that sort of thing, is that you know bringing Klein to bear on these sorts of things, when you I don't think this was overly anti Kleinian or anything like that, but it's just like when you do read through Klein, I mean you're left with some very pointed questions if you're not in agreement with him, um, if you are in agreement with him, then you are you're really sort of um, I suppose you're 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 very very satisfied that those pointed questions have been answered according to that basic system. Uh, I felt that Belcher kind of left left a lot of that a little bit more generic. So if you came to uh, this whole thing asking questions like, um, you know, is the covenant is the Davidic covenant a covenant of grace or a covenant of works, or you know, right, what is it exactly, right, right. or yeah. you know, how does that fit in exactly, and how does that fit in relation to the eternal covenant and all that sort of thing, yeah. you'd be left in a similar place that you started. You just sort of have a, as you say, a flow of the story, but not so much a theological answer and a pinpointed. You know, sort of way to, to process all of that. So th that's not so much a critique of Belcher as it is just a highlight of the value of client system, and um, mm -hmm. the way that he he brings those sorts of uh, issues. Um, yeah. So this would yeah. stand as a great introduction 
to the importance of the Davidic covenant as it stands in relation to, you know, basically uh, the movement of redemptive history as yeah. it's moving towards the exile, as it's moving towards Christ. But it's not answering the deeper questions that you have beyond the introduction level. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Put it. You know, on the opening, I was kind of skeptical about this opening line. I don't know if you you uh, you you felt the same way, but God's covenant with David represents the culmination of all of the promises of the previous covenants. I, I would reserve that statement for the new covenant. Well, isn't he he's saying thus far, though, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, but culmination is strong. It's kind of like a yeah. Yeah, culmination uh, it, is strong. It could it could sound like climax. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it's the culmination of the previous covenants. It's not yeah. the, the well. And then the next sentence form. is perfect, where he goes, you know, it consolidates those promises. I consolidates yeah, perfect. Right. A consolidation yeah. of everything thus far. You know, culmination. I'd wait for the new covenant before I use that language. Yeah, but, sure. But, it's a strong word. But you know, it's absolutely right that, and this is what we've been hinting at, that it consolidates everything thus far. So that's why yeah. it just becomes such a high point, as he puts it in Old Testament theology and history, because. It's this moment that kind of provides this laser beam forward from that point. Everything sort of uh, bring comes through this prism. Yeah. 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 Which maybe yeah. actually. And it know, does. It, it, it focuses your attention on the king and what's going to happen with the line of kings. Absolutely. Um, the, I, that he, yeah. I, I, there, there were a couple of other details, but actually I'll, I'll reserve because because they were more towards the end, I think. He yep. just made points about the line of kings like being broken. I think actually if you read through Chronicles um, and Kings, it's, it, it sort of goes out of its way to let you know that the line of kings hasn't been broken. Um, so, so it seems to me like it's very much directing to say, even though it's just a slender hope, the hope is still there. You still have, you know, uh, the king isn't dead. And so there's still this hope of the, of the line of kings from David uh, you know, who are connected to the future restoration. So he did right. make that point. He did make the point that actually um, now the hope of future restoration, the hope of the Messiah is connected to the line of kings coming from David. It's connected to the Davidic covenant. Um, but at some point he, he sort of, he spoke about the line of kings. I can't remember the exact. Well, uh, there's words all of used. this um, this stuff around the um, the exile, which is so awesome in Zechariah. And again, yes. not to, not to, you know, keep uh, touting Kleinia, but but basically, I mean, his uh, work in glory in our midst and Zechariah, and I mean, it's it's really, um, you know, it's amazing that that, that you've got these. Um, you know, obviously, that's a time where you know the king was removed from the throne, in that they didn't have a king, and yeah, they are um, hoping to restore everything after their great punishment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they get the temple together, they got a priest, they got everything, they just don't have a king, you know? And then they got Zerubbabel, who, you know, is in the lineage of David, and he gets restored, and all these pr uh, prophetic connections to that, uh, which which are amazing. And it, it sort of uh, it, it shows the people that there will come a king in the Davidic line, even though they, mm -hmm. it's sort of, as he puts it, I thought he captured this well, there's this double-edged sort of frustration that's going on, because they, they're assured of these promises, but... It, you know, in their absolute omission at that point, because they just don't have anything like a king, like David, certainly. Um, uh, anyone who's going to bring any level of glory that they experienced before, uh, as yeah. as with Solomon or anything like that, uh, they're they're just roughing it out, you know. And it's just not it's not looking good at all. And so they really start entering into that 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 New Testament type pilgrimage hope, waiting for that which is to come.
So, I mean, you know, whatever you might say about bro brokenness, I mean, I think it's like the, the king, I mean, you definitely don't have a king the whole way through, but the, the hope remains, you know, and the lineage. You, no, you don't have a king the whole way through, but you do have a line. You, you, you have, have a lineage. Succession. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a lot of Lord of the Rings and the Dunedain. Aragorn, man. The line of kings is not broken. That's what I'm saying. Okay, nice, yeah. nice. Oh. <laughs> it's ironic that both of the middle earth inhabitants here didn't didn't really get that yeah, yeah. i forget so a little I bit forget. over lord yeah. of the rings <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's like the tourist trap for us bro um, my uh it's my only desire to come to new zealand apart from seeing you guys of course is to uh bit of is, to, is to go to you know hobbit land little hobbit land yeah well we can hook you up bro i mean it's uh we got Hubbard land. It's pretty much all we got. Yeah. <laughs> got sheep as well. You got some sheep. And got some sheep. sheep. Yeah. Part of it. And part of the whole scenario, did, did, really. And we also got sheep. Yeah. Did we mention we have yeah. sheep? Yeah. <laughs> I think. I think yeah. so. I think you guys have, have good sheep. All right. Now, here's the thing. Um, as you go through thinking about the covenants and with David particularly, um, there is this really important concept that I definitely want to bring out that I felt like he did towards the end. And that's this issue of, of uh, Davidic sonship, uh, the sonship of the King, uh, these mm -hmm. ways in which, um, and maybe, maybe even just to backtrack on that, just to make sure everyone's tracking with us. So what you have, you know, when you think about, uh, I remember listening to a lecture by Lee Eines a while ago, and he makes this point really well. I can't remember where it was. I think it was, it must've been his upper register. It must've been somewhere uh, in one of those lectures. I think it might have been when he was uh, doing an intro on Klein's theology. So uh, take that under advisement. But he, one of the things he does really well is he, he shows that when we think of uh, kind of, uh, a king and him representing the people and that sort of thing. You know, we're thinking in terms of Western monarchy and really not in terms of ancient Near Eastern federal representative, you know, a suzerain treaty, you know, which is a really, it's a, it's a bit of a handicap for us because you can't, you can't think, I mean, it is a struggle when he mentioned that I was thinking, you know, it's very hard for us to even conceive of a dynastic line and a, and a, you know, a, a monarchy w without, importing all those european concepts that that really have no place here and so the big mm -hmm. I, the big issue is that there is some representation happening as as you have the the king who is the theocratic king the king who is the one who is the son it's like as he says later you know what is reserved for the people the son of god spoken of as the people of israel now becomes placed this title becomes placed on uh is placed on the king and he's the one who stands with god he's the the one who rules mm -hmm. you know and represents god he's the one that um engages in all that covenantal transaction for the people and so there's just really i mean to miss that is really to miss so much because that that is almost yeah. everything by way of legibility for why it matters that jesus is the king and why it matters yeah. that you know he is uh the, the this federal representative as the last adam and king you know uh, yeah. it's it's like the, whole the saying as goes the king so goes the kingdom yes know? exactly 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 and you know so it's just not true in the same way for us in, in, in a Western conception of that. So anyway, so I, I, I think everyone's kind of aware of that concept. Publicly, we know what we know what it means to have a federal representative. But you know, we, we don't, I think, associate it enough to the idea of a kingship. 
and uh, what's mm. happening over here. And that, I think if you get that right up front, it solves all sorts of problems theologically as to what exactly David's relationship was to, to the people and how this works by, by way of the outworking of the covenant of works typology and how uh, it relates to the covenant of grace and even again to the covenant of redemption. Because if you think about the covenant of redemption, the eternal <laughs> covenant, there you have a covenant that Christ would, you know, um, stand, he would be like a second Adam. He would, he would work and represent as if as as the first king failed to do which wasn't david yeah. it was it was adam and you know you've yeah. even got this whole like like saul is the failed king and then followed by david the successful king so you've got all these like two adam things going on even within that 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 saul yeah. um uh david um uh, sequence but but the whole idea here is that you've got you've got this king who failed in Adam and a king mm. that was needed right, right up front, which is being satisfied at the, in the eternal covenant. And, um, and everything that's, that's being pointed to at the Davidic covenant is, is just like, I mean, wow. It's like basically looking directly at everything Christ is yeah. going to do and, and succeed in doing as the last Adam, um, especially as you then let that flow into Solomon. Yeah. You have David and the Davidic son, Solomon, who now yeah. have entered into rest. They've, they've defeated the, the, the foes of God. The, they've built the temple. It's like seeing the real, you know, the realities uh, play out, um, I- at least in typological form, but there it is, you know? And uh, so just to make that connection up front is really, really important. Otherwise, mm-hmm. nothing else Definitely. makes sense, in my, in my opinion. Maybe just uh, backtracking a little bit more just to the Davidic covenant itself, which comes from 2 Samuel 7. What I appreciate about just the Davidic covenant is at the point at which the covenant is made in 2 Samuel 7, it's not mentioned as a covenant at all. So, you know, for those uh, biblicists are always looking for the proof text. They're always looking for the word covenant. So if they go to Genesis 1 to 3, they're looking for the the word covenant and the word covenant's not there. So therefore it can't be a covenant of grace. And so the Davidic covenant really is the place to, to help us to see that you have a very clear covenant in place, but it's only in um, 2 Samuel 23, 5, Psalm 89, 3, 28, 34, Psalm 132, 12, that uh, the Bible does speak of it as a covenant, but not in that immediate context. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that, I think we yeah, did bring that up. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real yeah, tangible it point, isn't it? I like the way it's so so rootsy. Like yeah. you can you can then say, all right, well, okay, fine. There's no covenant in um you know, in it's Genesis. kind of like similar to that that point that you make when you're talking to JWs about uh, John 1. And in the beginning uh, uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then there's like, oh, but there's no definite article, so it should be a God. And then you're like, well, actually, look, if you, if you look at the way the New Testament uses it, there's loads of examples where it does that kind of thing, so you're reading too much into it. But it's just nice to make the point when you're not defending the, the, the Adamic covenant. Um, you know, it's nice yeah. to make the point from another covenant where it is so clearly illustrated. Yeah, yeah. And so you can kind of just put that in back for later. Totally, Definitely. totally, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe it's slightly just, off the point, but uh, two kingdoms eschatology and oh, the Davidic covenant I well, found very helpful. So, you know, sure. you have uh, Solomon. So you have, you know, the, I think he, he raises the whole discussion of David was a man of war. Mm-hmm. Solomon was a man of peace. David mm-hmm. as a man of war couldn't build the temple, but Solomon as a man of peace could. Mm-hmm. And it was intended that through Solomon as the man of peace, that the kingdom of Israel would then become the light to the nation. So mm. the king would be brought into place. 
Israel will be at rest with, with the nations around it, and then the nations would be, be drawn to Jerusalem. And uh, if you just uh, allow that to feed into your two kingdoms eschatology, you know, it's Christ who brings about rest first. <laughs> yes. And then the peace, and then the full manifestation of the kingdom. Whereas um, our transformationist friends and even our theonomist do we call them friends, heretics? Um, <laughs> they want to see that kingdom expressed during the time of war as opposed to during the time of peace. Yes. Um, so I just was, appreciated some of that. Yeah. I think that was also really helpful because I, I think for a lot of folk, when you when you when you read that part um, in the in the kind of Davidic covenant, and you're thinking, well, David can't build the temple because he's got too much blood on his hands. But then you, it, it is confusing because you're like, well, God told David, you know, to do this. He was fighting on God's behalf. It was, yeah, at no point did we ever detect any hint of, of God being, you know, disapproving of David's actions. He was, he seemed to be doing the right thing, defending the people of God and, and protecting them from the enemies of God and so on. Um, and so it is confusing when you're like, well, suddenly this is sort of counting against David, but that isn't really the idea. It's not that so much that it's counting against him as it is that it, it, the, the kind of reign of the king reflects um, what that, that dynasty was going to, to be like, what that, that temple was going to, uh, to be like. And so that, that kind of idea of peace um, in Solomon's reign, whereas David's reign was characterized more by, in some sense, war and protection and, um, and, and that sort of thing. And I thought that was really helpful because, yeah, it very seldomly gets articulated that way, I think. Yeah. There's, there's a kind of double barrel pattern that's so important um, that we're picking up on that really can apply in a few different ways. But I think it's just a massive theme throughout scripture that we're right on top of now as you go from David and Solomon. Yeah, you start right in the beginning. We mentioned Adam as the king, for example. Or, yeah, but do you start even before that? And, uh, you know, you've got God out of darkness creating light and you know bringing out of this disordering chaos order and this for the purposes of building his temple you know so there's this whole like i'm not temple saying there was sin yeah yeah i'm not saying there was sin before the fall or anything like that but it, you know it's just that there's that pattern originally in place even before the fall and then you know after the fall certainly you've got all these uh things going on where uh you know this out of you know, this is pattern. It's like the warring and then the temple. You know, you've got the war with Egypt, the bringing the people out, and then the building of the tabernacle and ordering the people of God. And then uh, that's what's happening here as well. And it, you know, ultimately moves forward to, to even think of Luke and Acts together. Um, yeah. You know, where you've got Jesus, you know, who, who just uh, comes into the wilderness, does the whole cross. war and goes to the cross. And then Acts is the building of the temple. So what we're seeing here is, is really profoundly connected to that fabric uh, of the pattern that has been in place and will continue to be in place, or, or at, at least is finally now in place. And um, and that's important to pick up on. But the other thing is is to just mention something, at least you know, by way of the two kingdom thing and the dominion and transformationalist stuff as well. Because what you have here is the kind of dominion that you need in order to be a transformationalist, right? Um, which I think is such an important point. Again, it plays into this eschatology. If you know, if you lessen what Adam was required to do, um, even prior to the fall, then it might be conceivable, like if Adam didn't have to have absolute mastery over the creation, you know, if he yeah. if he just if he kind of 
it could have just got a basic upper hand on it and you know making things look good but it really was still kind of disorderly um well maybe then you could see how a transformationist case would work but you know the, the the cultural mandate is absolute, and so what what's so significant about when Noah rules over the ark and and has the whole animal kingdom in perfect subject, subjection in the kingdom of God, and when David rules over the land and you know and then Solomon has the whole place in perfect peace and subjection to the kingdom. These, these this tells us the kind of king we're looking for and the kind of dominion we need, and uh, that yeah, someone you can say to the wind and the waves, be still literally i mean that's it you know one who has the power over well ultimately death you know um because yeah. otherwise the earth is mastering you you're never mastering it and so yeah. at the end of the day you know this is it's all just a if you take these texts seriously we must have mentioned this in the past but if we take these texts seriously they can only lead to one place i think you know we, we can't think about our understanding of what we do now as what we what is being foreshadowed here unless we're thinking about it in terms of its new covenant fulfillment uh spiritually commencing now and ultimately in the consummation so, uh, you know so so where where is their absolute div- dominion now you know w- with christ on the throne i mean it's 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 not it's not in you know the the governments or <laughs> you know some sort of parachurch they, they have to go like ultra charismatic where you know they were literally being able to raise the dead and totally. uh, tame the tigers and hold the snakes and yeah. you know all, all that kind of stuff because the place that we can yeah. say that there you know christ has absolute dominion already even though there's remaining sin is you know in our conversion in 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 our new and birth. in the intermediate state and in the intermediate the souls state, of absolutely. the martyrs are seated with christ oh. in the heavenly places and you yeah, know what so you got right there you got a millennialism. millennialism. <laughs> <laughs> the spiritual That's millennium right. runs alongside the, the millennium on earth, church militant of the church triumphant, both realities running side by side and they're really not yet. So these things are deeply connected, right? Uh, you know, and it's not it's not an accident that Klein, you know, uh, a forerunner to so much of the kingdom, two kingdom uh, paradigm now. Um, you know, was this rabid a millennialist? <laughs> yeah. You know, his work on Revelation 20 is outstanding yes yes amen um okay so that's kind of what i wanted to bring out just just by way of some introductory thoughts we haven't actually touched the essay itself though. but, but so you know what we need to yeah. talk about david and goliath what that's, is the real meaning of the battle between david and goliath it means you really have well, to be brave and tackle your prayer yeah fasting <laughs> you know going to church <laughs> <laughs> the five stones bro don't you know that that you can slay your demon you know? Yeah, you can say no, everyone's prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Oh, sorry. Apostolic yeah. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Everyone, everyone's <laughs> got their, everyone's got their Goliath, you know. And so you just have to look inwards and yeah. find your Goliath, and then slay him with your five stones, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, there is, a, there is, a, yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, it's not about you know you. It's about Jesus, and he represents the people, and everything we've been saying. But you know, again. When you when you say that in light of everything else we're saying now about the Davidic covenant and the biblical theology attached to that, you see how that story actually is quite massive in terms of yeah. showing exactly what it is that the Davidic king would do. It's not just that we're also, saying, "Hey, I we mean, got a little fair, extra angle." Sorry, go for it. Yeah, and and exactly, and 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 to be to be fair, it's not about saying that there is no place for any kind of secondary or tertiary application of it to the way that we um uh you know 
and the way that we should base. trust God for yeah, sure. yeah for, for stuff in our life. But um, but it's just to say that actually you can't, if you go straight there without putting it in the context of what that passage is actually about, yeah, then it's going to lead to all kinds of problems because then it's a little bit like I was uh, reading the other day about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and yeah, and how he you know overcomes and Satan te- tempts him and he replies it is written. Mm. I was reading that with someone and they went straight to this is how we should overcome Satan. Yeah, right. yeah there we go. And I was like, well, well, you know, yeah, th- there's some lessons to be learned in terms of our spiritual warfare, but use the, the Bible, problem is if you go there before the you Bible. go to the fact that Jesus <laughs> has quote, overcome. Quote scripture to the devil. Yeah. Quote scripture yeah. to the devil. Well, yeah, and and it is the, the glorious thing about the gospels is about Christ who has overcome. He's won the victory. Amen. Right? Yeah. And so if you start to talk about spiritual warfare apart from that foundation and you're in big trouble, big, big. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, so where are you in the story of David is the question. And you're, you're that that chicken, that that (laughs) chicken, you know, I'll leave out the second hyphenated expression there, but the, (laughs) give me, give me my cheese, David. Now you go do the thing. You're just cowering and you're like, you've bailed out already and you're, you're nowhere to be found. And oh my goodness, you know, you're you're the one watching the MMA fight at that point and just you know wincing, uh, yeah. but in the red corner and the blue corner, you're nowhere to be found, you know. So, so I think that's the idea. Yeah, you've got it. You've got it. What is a pri- you mentioned earlier? There's no point with. I mean, no one, no one's got a problem with secondary or tertiary applications. I mean, we all understand that one passage could be applied in several different ways. But we're talking here about meaning. We're talking about yeah, yeah. you know what this does in redemptive history and why it's focus there. Of the text. Yeah, yeah. So you want to be really clear on that and not just rip it out and these two crazy yeah. things. And the it. point is that David is, <clears throat> as the christological figure in his humiliation and in his weakness, representing Christ in his incarnation, overcomes the enemy. Yeah, overcomes the enemy. It goes back to the point. It goes back to the point you were making earlier, Mike, about the whole representative thing. Yeah, and about how that's really key because if you don't see Christ as a representative of the people, I mean, sorry, a, a David as a representative of the people, then that's going to lead to interpretations where David's just you, you're David, and that's going to be a problem. And I think it's not only for David and Goliath; it's also for the way we read the Psalms. Yep, that's hardly because you realize like a lot of the Psalms are about the king, and. That so, doesn't make much sense to us because we're like, why would we have so many songs about, I mean, we get tired of, of just having like a reference to the queen in like the, at the end of a, a yeah. hymn or something like that. And we think, well, what on earth is, is that about? Um, but to have so many books de- dedicated to the welfare of the king yeah. makes no sense unless you see him actually as justification. So goes king, so goes. You know, you you, you literally yeah. got the doctrine of justification. In my, it's our only hope. It is the gospel. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah. oh, my goodness, give me more of those books. You know, give me more of yeah. those sure. those books about the Davidic king. I know I remember, you know, preaching through some of the Psalms and I was just yeah, I was struck by that point, like. This is all like, you know, it's almost always a problem if you're going straight to seeing how this psalm just, you know, speaks about you and your individual walk with God. There are a lot of them, many of them are are specifically focused on the theocratic king as he, you know, takes his place in, you know, in Israel. And I love what um, uh, Walkie said, you know, it's almost like the psalmists are just, whether they're dealing with David himself or Solomon or a king after, even in his disgrace, they're just taking these lavish robes and they're just throwing it on the shoulders of whatever king is there. 
and waiting for the shul- for the broad shoulders that are broad enough to be able to fill those robes, you know. Yeah. And I, I that that was just such a powerful way to put it. In that they're just there, they are just just knowing exactly what needs to come because of this Davidic king. Mm-hmm. And you see, as coming back to the issue of the covenant itself, what a paradigm David is. Then, you know, he is the thing that that allows us to understand everything um, of what Christ has accomplished. I'm, I'm preaching on Hebrews. Uh, chapter one still, but in, uh, you know, it's, I mean, he goes into this later on in the, in the book of Hebrews as well, but just in the opening few verses, you see that a big deal for the author is that now after his making purification, he has sat down at the right hand of God and he is, it is declared over him. You are my son. Like that doesn't make sense. Right. Especially after he's, you know, just totally set him up as God himself and you know why is it so important that you have this act in in history that that is um you know this declaration of of Christ as the son you know and quoting Psalm 2 about the Davidic king and you know it's 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 all on this point he has fulfilled the covenant of redemption at that point he is you know he has become everything the gospel has pointed to in his Mm -hmm. Uh, receiving of that right of title because of uh, the work he he worked and the and the and the enemy that he slayed, you know. So, you know, this is I mean, this is everything. Does this have? I mean, that's exactly exactly it. And does this have a, a connection? Because in the the essay, he spends quite a lot of time talking about the whether it's a conditional or an unconditional covenant, and yeah, and where the conditionality is, and that plays into this as well, doesn't it? So, totally. you know, the the kind of conditionality and the king needing to fulfill a certain set of requirements in order to be the one um and so i don't know if if if, yeah. if, if that is, is a good segue into talking and that's where that i felt it got very generic and sort of almost confusing it wouldn't have answered anything in my opinion it would have very you know, broad brushstrokes very exactly. general statements yeah. nothing specific yeah exactly so you know and, and a lot of it does go that way and and even you know to, to some degree there is a little bit of you know everyone's just got to be okay i'm not exactly sure how this fits in at every single turn but i think in general you know he doesn't phrase it the way i think is so helpful to phrase it in that you just simply say that when you look at the davidic covenant the the key words here are insofar as (laughs) you know insofar as that there is a works principle represented in the davidic king as a as a focus i mean obviously we know what we're looking at we're looking at the covenant of works uh it republished it Sinai. represented yeah. yep brought to its focal point there um in terms of the covenant of redemption we know we're seeing at that point a davidic grant we're seeing the the, the thing that christ does achieve he's not like laboring to achieve it still he has achieved it um and so you know and and then of course because it is a unilateral promise um and you can't get away from that it's just in so far as that is true, we're dealing with the reality of the covenant of grace as this plays yeah. itself out in history. Um, so I think, you, you know, all you of those. think about saying it this way? Yeah. So let me throw this at you and you can pick it apart. So um, if you say. Hated that basically, it. Hated every second of it. The, the condition. What's that? Hated. <laughs> I'll just count it. Back to the drawing board. Right. Back to the drum. <laughs> In terms of the condition, conditional, unconditional thing. Hate it still, still hate it. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, is it fair to say that it's for the people? It's an unconditional covenant. For the king, it's a conditional covenant. For the people, it's a covenant of grace. 
the king. It's conditional for both and unconditional for both. Yeah. Conditional for both typologically, unconditional for both on the basis of the covenant of grace. There we go. So That's there are the, yeah. there is the dual reality. It's the it's the added subservient covenant That's the which key. is in play every time there's any conditional elements. Yeah. But there's this unbreakable element as it pushes and drives forward to the fulfillment in Christ. Yeah. Which is the unconditional covenant of grace. The two layer so where thing. does the conditionality for the people come in? Um, well, so it, yeah, you answer my covenant. Well, I mean, look, they are still under the Mosaic covenant, right? So yes. it is, it yeah, is yeah. effectively, you know, that blood that they have called upon their heads and so forth. So it is still, we're saying that again, here's the word or the phrase, insofar as you're dealing with the works principle, you are dealing with the Mosaic covenant, which is for the people. And, you know, it is upon their heads. It's just that yeah. here's the, here's the whole like Lynch now, it, you know, in, in judges, it was not going well for them because they didn't have a representative as those under that works principle. But here we have one who can make it go well for them potentially, uh, and does so for a moment or two, just as a glimpse is given there of what what is coming. And yet, directly afterwards, we see it goes badly for the people, not just the king, but for the people. So it's actually as the king represents the people, it's for the people as well. You know, which is um, you know important to point out there. Um, and then, you know, those er those times that you have, I think, of uh, coming back from the land, for, uh, from exile, um, back to the temple. And Ezra full on bringing out a theocratic principle there again, ways, you know, separation from the unbelievers and so forth. That would be very much a, a works principle, again, to drive them, yeah. drive them to their knees, show them that they had absolutely failed. Um, you know, to, to do anything close to uh, fulfilling the kind of prophecies of a renewed heart, Jeremiah and mm -hmm. so forth. And, and so even they, though they don't have a king, that principle is still in play. That's yeah. still in play, yeah. So, you know, you've got both of them running there. It's just that when there is a representative, yes. there is a representative. Yes, but it, in the sense that you've got what what the Davidic covenant in, in, in particular is adding to that picture is that mm -hmm. it's tying the fate of the people to the king. So yeah. The, yeah. the both in terms of restoration, but also in terms of failing <clears throat> to fulfill the law. So right, yeah, yeah. That's um, what you're saying. Yeah. So I was thinking, I, I agree. Obviously, you've got the Mosaic Covenant, which is still yeah. running through until until Christ. Yeah. Um, and so you have you have the covenant of works going through at that level. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking more specifically in okay, terms got of it. what the so, covenant is adding to that picture. So I would see it as as you know that right there is you know what it's adding is the Davidic grant the the whole the whole idea of it's done now it's a success therefore it will happen. So you know in other words what we're looking at there is a display one hundred percent of the reality of the gospel. Um, you know, that and, is that the house of David is never going to be broken. There yeah. will be a king on David's one forever. That, yes. That promise is not tied to any condition. No. not Well, it is tied to the condition of the king typologically. Um, and it is foreshadowing the reality of the condition tied to uh, the king of kings type, uh, in actuality. Yeah, isn't, it, isn't, there a, isn't there a subtle difference, though? Isn't there a, that the promise of a king forever mm -hmm. is unconditional? It's not tied to any conditions anyway. So David doesn't, I think God doesn't say that if the kings, you know, are, as long as the kings obey, there will be a, an unbroken house of David. That actually, even if they disobey, they'll be disciplined, but there will be a house of well, David. Well, it's because of David's obedience himself. Yes. 
for the sake of the for, for the oh, sake I of see. the day. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's the all important point here. That's the kind of that's the big flash in the plan, as it were. That's the kind of wow, there it is. You know, that's right. he has now done so this there, whole thing. There's a kind of there's a basis of 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 david's typological obedience but, yeah. and so it's very much like uh you know i can't remember i always mess this wording up but i love the way klein words words it when it has to do with adam uh, sorry not adam abraham we, we spoke about this a while ago but abraham you know on that level of works where um you know individually he's saved by grace as with david you know obviously they're yeah. sinners looking forward to the actual reality of of christ who wins this for them but uh, there's something real typologically about what's being earned. You know, the, the people don't get saved because of what they earned, but be, but because of what they earned, the Savior comes. You know, and there yes. there is something yeah. you know of a relationship like that 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 continues. And it's what makes them unique figures. Because I think we start to get into real trouble if we start to say, well, you see, Abraham, he was saved by grace, but he also did work and earned some of the stuff, and that's like us. You know, and yeah. so again, if we don't <laughs> exactly. have that kind of representative yeah. thing. The two-layer um, thing. Yeah. You're going to end up being Roman Catholic before you can say. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is this is really the solution to the to that problem. You know, this this is why we're all so excited about the whole Kleinian thing because, really, you know, to deal honestly with the text, you almost have to go Roman Catholic or something like that if you don't have a way to explain yeah. it because they are doing. You know, Noah, he's blameless and therefore you know brings about salvation. Um, Abraham, he <clears throat> does this thing and therefore is given the thing. Uh, David, blah blah blah, and so forth. Um, so what the genius behind uh, Klein's two-layer typology is, he's going, don't ignore the works there. Whenever whenever they're there, it's not to subtract yeah. from a grace works antithesis, but rather it's no. to it's to pronounce the the the, the typological um, overlay and to show you so how good. it is that grace is one. You know, yeah. um, and to, I think sometimes we do feel awkward. You know, I've heard a lot of people are like, oh, but you know. The, the kind of Noah and you want to point forward, but, but Noah earned the thing. And how does that work? And, and yeah. how I'm having an understanding of it kind of, it's huge. Um, it's absolutely massive. Kind of topological yeah. level thing. Yeah. So here's, here's, here's sort of the overemphasis on two edges. On the one hand, we have our, and I'll put the Presbyterians generically in this corner. They sort of read the new Testament in this, as if we were in the old Testament, mm -hmm. but then our Baptist friends in the other corner, read the old Testament as if, they were in the New Testament, mm -hmm. whereas you need to read this two-layer situation mm -hmm. with a typological uh, principle of works working in the context of a covenant of grace yeah. as the way of working it out. And then, and then I'll just say this as well, in case we do have some client nerds watching. You know, you got the two-layer thing going on, and then you got the first-level, second-level thing going on as well. Uh, you know, which is like it gets not level even to, layers. Not even to mention the upper and lower <laughs> register, which is another thing entirely. Even but, the uh, layers have layers. Yeah, exactly. So, and the, people the levels know, of guess, layers and the layers of levels. Yeah. But you know, the, the basic. I mean, the, the language client uses is even though if you get confused on these points, I mean, basically it is helpful. The idea is what we're looking for year is that sure you've got this these two layers running alongside each other there's a substrata so to speak uh you know as you have works and grace in their antithesis but you know as as redemptive history goes you've got the kingdom prologue you know klein's magnum opus there is genesis as it as it gets ready to foreshadow the kingdom which is essentially the old testament as its first layer, you know, which is a which is flowing out. It's one big typological. Sorry, not layer level. I did it. See, I messed it up. Uh, <laughs> one big, yeah. which is the first. You're going to be level. 1689 federal visioning. 
Before you know it. <laughs> I know. So, so you got the two layers running all the way out. You know, that's that's true. Individuals saved by grace and yet typological representatives of something, um, uh, you know, on a works principle. But but what we're talking about here is that the kingdom in its typological form, the first level of that kingdom has been prologued by Genesis. And then the whole Old Testament is the first level of, of the, uh, of which is a level of typology. And then the second level is the level of fulfillment. So, you know, which we all know, but it's just a helpful way to put all that together, I think, and, yeah. and, um, and just, you know, see how it all adds up. So, yeah. So we're running out of synonyms for layers. Of dispensational. <laughs> <laughs> the level layer. Yeah. But it, you know, it's basically the, op the opposite of, of seeing dispens this dispensational thing where basically the Old Testament's the real deal, the New Testament's the, the caveat. Well, I mean, not you know, exactly because exactly. the yeah. yeah. Well, because you but got the reform guys. The church is the caveat, basically. So we got we got a bit of a delay, but yeah, absolutely. No, the, the dispensational angle is huge because you've got this big squabble obviously going on, and I realize now when we say dispensational, we mean probably classical and you know so forth, and we realize there are a hundred variants of it since then. But but just for the sake of argument, yeah, you've you know when it came about, you had this big squabble between the reformed and dispensational camp because you know it's this it's discontinuity or continuity. You know, and they're just wrestling each other. And, you know, this one wants it all different and two different things. This one wants it all together. And, you know, for Klein to come the way he did, uh, the, what did I even say there? The way he did. <laughs> the, the way he, he did, did it. Yeah. He got it dead. Old K Dog. <laughs> the way he did it. <laughs> He did the, the way the way Kedog came it the way he did it. Um, <laughs> uh, so so, what I was saying was, for Klein to come along the way that he did, and and put this thing into play, that gives a you know it, it is the dispensational person, you know that's that's wrestling with the discontinuity issue. He there's really much inclined that years that, and he was so much so that he yeah. was called a crypto dispensationalist, you know, and and obviously wrongly so. But 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 this is because he wasn't willing to go all the way to the mono covenantalist side and 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 yeah. just disregard all of that. So there was an integrity about what he was seeing there. He was wasn't willing to throw it out. That's why I think it's so amenable. A lot of the a lot of the times you have progressive dispensationalists that you know don't want to they don't immediately you know just just uh just hate what you're saying when you talk when you talk about uh clients out there in fact it's kind of helpful for them a lot of a lot of the time um for baptists too because we've got a lot of discontinuity um but you know it's not to not to say that Klein was any of those things i mean he was properly reformed and emphasized continuity the whole way around but really just immensely helpful immensely helpful on all of those points the right way to solve all of those tensions you had daniel fuller come along with his um you know, gospel contrast or continuum and just jettisoning the, the covenant theology altogether and saying there's just basically a law gospel continuum, you know, taking almost a John Piper approach. And, um, and you know, that's the wrong way to solve this issue, um, you know, if you're sick of the dispensational covenantal debate. Uh, uh, this is the, the right way. To... Instead of the keeping it separate, distinct, yeah. but together. Yeah, exactly. So really a very rich section so many things too it's the, mm. it's the nexus of so much that's going on i mean on. and we haven't even scratched the surface of the significance of the kings i oh. mean just the uh, i really appreciated his work on the psalms 
Yes. You know, he yes. spoke about you know Psalm 89, Psalm 132, yep. Yep. Psalm of Ascents with the with the 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 Davidic hope, and just you know where the Davidic hope fits into the exile. There's just so much to expand on there. The but, king's uh, relationship yeah. to God, he says, as son, along with his responsibilities to keep the covenant raises the issue of the discipline of the king and what happens to God's promise of a continuing dynasty. If the king breaks the covenant, the covenant has a conditional aspect that relates to each individual king. There's your thing, Andre. Each king must yep. keep the covenant. If a king does not keep it, then God may use other nations to bring judgment against it, uh, against him um, and Israel. So that's some of the, the, the complexity he brings out there. He says, um, up to this point, though, Israel was God's firstborn son. Now the king of Israel is the son with God, as his father, see now it's setting it up for Christ. The special relationship of sonship means that the king serves as a covenant mediator. Wow. As as son, he shares the throne with God, his father. I mean, this is like how do you make sense of Hebrews if you don't know this? Is you know yeah. is what I'm thinking. As as son, he shares and, and the fact sorry, go for and it. the fact that he, he he talks about the king having some priestly yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah. Roles. You know, and that yeah. again, Hebrews is totally as son, he shares the throne with God, his father, and has access to the father. This is the Davidic king, he represents God to the people, but he also represents the people to God. So, really, you know, I very mean, rich. What an very important deep. part of scripture. Maybe just one more little bit here that playing on your comment there with the Psalms. He says, The close relationship between Yahweh and the Davidic king that was expressed in Psalm 2, uh, verse 7. Is also expressed in David's cry, you are my father, and in the close relationship between Yahweh and David. Just as Yahweh is head of the heavenly assembly, so he will make David the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Wow. So profound. So profound. Amen. It just, uh, I, for, for me, you know, it's it's just like, it brings the whole thing together. It takes it from, why do we have this section on David now? You know, they're like, well, what is this whole deal with David? And why can't we just get to the New Testament already? Well, this is... This is like, you just don't know what's going on in the New Testament. I mean, wow, you think how replete the New Testament is with, with um, you know, allusions to this concept. And, you know, this is what the New Covenant is. It's building the temple. It's the house of David. It's the, the thing that, you know, uh, has now been, has been foreshadowed and has now come. Uh, just one more little thing here. He says, Psalm 89 and, and 132 are fulfilled in Christ, who is the descendant of David, the son who will sit on the throne forever. So those are some key points and highlights for me in the essay, um, which uh, if I didn't mention it before, again, is uh, in the book, Covenant Theology. Um, biblical, can we remember the order? Biblical, theological, and historical perspectives. That's the book, expensive, expensive little guy. But if you can get it, get it. There is uh, one, hey, here's another, sh another shout out, Isaac Jones. My goodness, have I got your name right? That would be embarrassing. Isaac Jones. He's uh, Facebook. It's a shout out. Yeah. Well, he is re <laughs> I, just, I mentioned him because he's a good buddy and he's studying Latin. Keep going, Isaac, you can do it. Um, but he is also um, uh, reading along with us in the book. So that's good to know Brilliant. that people are actually that's reading along. As I told him, you know, that's good. Good for me to know that it's a little less abstract for people that are listening because, you know, they'll actually read through the essay. So that's good. Um, I mean, the most the most important part is what we say, but it's also good if you read the book. You can you can listen to Belcher if you want to a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think you got the you got the meat of it at the end of the day. I mean, you got the heart of it. 
Dan, perfect critique. I don't actually think you even need to read the book. I don't. You know what? <laughs> I recant because I'm with you. I actually agree with you 100%. <laughs> Scrap the book. You got everything you need right here. Two H Sojourner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> two. Oh, 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 oh. Wow. <laughs> that is crazy. Two We've got. So how do you do? How do you do like an S though? You have to go like two age and then. That is that is so epic. I can't believe you just thought about that on the spot. What two age sojourner? Yes, then we just like spit at each other for a while. It'd be so sick. You could you could totally that could be an artist, right? Oh, two two age. Yeah, yeah, you could do this wrong though. There's a way of doing this that's not gonna, not gonna be good. Loser, (laughs) loser, double loser. Whatever, major loser. Two eight soda. Oh boy. Anyway, okay. And for those of you who are listening, you should go watch YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way we can we can translate that. Someone was in sign language. <laughs> I um I really was keen to get a little bit of gear together though. Do a t-shirt or two. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's easy enough to do these days. We might, we might as well get get that done. I suppose I was just wanting to f- settle on a logo and stuff, and I suppose we've done that now by default. I think, I think <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could even get your nice little cloud thing and you know mm. just get that on. Yeah, the clouds. Yeah. Clouds. Yeah. That's vines. a chip. You call it clouds. I call it a picture of you and Nick. <laughs> the garden cloud. <laughs> it's a picture cloud of garden. you and a picture of Nick, and you guys are looking at the S. <laughs> <laughs> what? And the S is you? You're the you're the S? No, no. I'm not in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's wrap this up. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed. To age sojourner. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, gonna, it's gonna take a little practice. Oh, two H. All right. Um, that's the end of the podcast.
Stop it, stop it, stop it.